Psalm 7 Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me, or they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Lord my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God, decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather round you while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. Bring an end to the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure, you, the righteous God, who probes minds and hearts. My shield is God Most High, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword, he will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons, he makes ready his flaming arrows. Whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. Thank you for that reading we've just had. And... Uh, I've been reflecting on the the theme of friendly rivalries. My wife and I went on honeymoon in 1967 to a little island of Guernsey in the Channel Islands. Uh, we became aware while we were there that there was a fairly friendly rivalry between Guernsey and Jersey. Um, the same could be said for Lancashire and Yorkshire. I'm from Lancashire, of course. One of my friends, Ben Carswell, evangelist, full-time Christian worker. He's a Yorkshireman, born and bred in Leeds. Lives in um, New Zealand now. And I live in uh, London, South London. But the rivalry continues, although we're many thousands of miles apart. He recently posted something about it being Yorkshire Day, but really didn't care. But they do, they love it, those Yorkshire people. Um, they, uh, Whenever there's an Olympic Games, a few few British medals are won by Yorkshire people. And you hear, if Yorkshire, if Yorkshire were a country, we'd be in fourth place in the Olympic gold medal table. Well, you know, you could detect that, uh, yeah, I'd like to indulge a little bit myself. Friendly rivalries, some rivalries, of course, are not not so friendly. If you look at the heading of this psalm, Psalm 7, uh, Shigayon of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush, a Benjamite. Um, David was from the tribe of Judah, and there, there was not so friendly rivalry between um, Judah and Benjamin. Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, had provided the first king of Israel. Things had not gone well. And uh, David <coughs> became king in his place. And uh, 
There was one famous moment when David had to flee from his capital city and travel up the hill across the valley because his own son was usurping the power of the throne and a Benjamite called Shimei came throwing dust at David in David's direction and cursing him as he went. So there was this not-so-friendly rivalry. And you can detect a little bit of that in this psalm. Uh, no one really knows uh, the identity of Cush the Benjamite, who's referred to in the heading of Psalm 7. But he has, apparently, if you read the words of this psalm, he has the power to cause David's considerable distress and anguish of heart. And uh, we're going to be thinking about this morning. We're going to just listen to David's cries from the heart in this period of desolation and woundedness. The first thing he says is, uh, I need a refuge. I need a refuge. Verses 1 and 2. Lord, my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me, or they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with none to rescue, none to rescue me. Uh, well, there are these times in life when someone has the power to uh, hurt you by their behaviour. Their words are as sharp as a lion's claws, uh, affects your eternal world, your soul. Um, and uh, it's as though they're, they're hunting you. The imagery of the lion there is it's a kind of pursuit, being pursued by a lion with great power and strength enough to hurt you deeply. And uh, it it's, appears here that it's not just a one-off hurtful remark that we can all cope with within a few hours or a day or two. It's like a military campaign against you. They're pursuing me. Um, and... Uh, it's like a military campaign. I've been trying to support a friend who has been accused and condemned by family members over monetary dispute. Um, the sisters involved, the brother-in-laws involved, they got the elders of the church involved. It's gone on for months and months and years. They demand certain things that he doesn't feel able to give them. It's, there's been a campaign of disinformation about him. It's really very, very trying. And sometimes in those times, you're not really sure where to turn. David says in verse 2, um, there's no one to rescue me. There is none to deliver, says another another um, version of this, uh, of this psalm. You might be going into work with... Uh, each morning you might be going into work with a line manager who you know seems to have made it uh, her mission in life to bully you, intimidate you, make you feel bad about yourself, looking for any slight thing that will bring down some kind of discrimination upon your head, make you feel small and humiliated. And there's none to deliver. There's hardly anywhere you can turn. And uh, I remember when I was a teenage bunk clerk, um, working in Piccadilly in Manchester. I did go from time to time to work in a smaller branch. But they only had a few staff. And I went to work there on relief when, when some of their staff were on holiday. They would need help from the bigger branch. And so I would go down there. There was a, there was a young man down there. He was not 
much older than me, maybe a year or two. And he was king in his little domain. And I was there on relief to help them out, but I can still feel the delight he took in being able to point out my mistakes. Um, and often, for me, the day began in apprehension. I was only 17, 18 at the time. The day began in apprehension and often ended in humiliation. It was terrible just dragging myself into work, knowing that this man who was king in his own domain would uh, savage my soul. He had more power than me. And uh, it was a very difficult time. Well, David speaks to God. Um, in this um, in this moment, his, his um, trials and difficulties were infinitely worse than having trouble at the uh, at the branch where you're a relief worker. But um, he says, I, I need a refuge. I need someone I can turn to that will give me a place where I can relax, where I can take rest, where I can feel secure. I need a refuge. And he's turning to the Lord for that. Not long ago, well, a few years ago now, I... I went on a Saturday night to a friend's 70th birthday party. And while I was there, I, I met a full-time Christian worker, a gracious man. Just a few minutes at the end of the evening we were able to share greetings. That was a Saturday night. The next day his 14-year-old son took his own life as the result of, well it seems, as the result of internet bullying, um, social media, lions with claws ripping his soul, making him feel humiliated and worthless and the poor lad felt that his only refuge could be in death. And uh, it is a terrible thing that though social media has the power to do a great deal of good and has advanced so many good things in our society, in communication particularly. There are people who take pleasure in getting out their claws and digging deep into the hearts and souls of other people. I need a refuge. Um, the second thing that David flags up here is that um, he says, I need honesty. Verses three to five, Lord, my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil or without cause of rob my foe, then let my enemy pursue me and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. When times are hard and you're suffering at the hands of other people, it's it's right to call out to the Lord who loves you for relief and for refuge. 
Um, and if the heading to this psalm is true, then David's been wounded by the words of this man, Cush. Sometimes uh, people who speak words that wound you, condemn you, cut you to the heart, bully you, intimidate you. That's often part of life's experience. And God can be your refuge. You can feel that you can take refuge in the words of love and mercy that God speaks to you in the person of Christ. You can take refuge in the fatherly acceptance of a glorious king, as we remarked the other week in one of the other Psalms. A God who, who is all-powerful and who loves you perfectly and eternally. However, David's being honest with the Lord. I do need to be honest, he says here. If I have been ungodly in my behaviour, then give me a hard time. Humble me under your mighty hand, is a, and it could be said that he was... It would be part of the expression of his soul here. Sometimes we can be very quick to spot the splinter in the other person's eye uh, to the neglect of the plank that is in our own attitudes and in our own behaviour. I personally find it very difficult in times when condemnation and criticism come my way to ask if there are elements of truth in what that person has said. I really just want to go straight to self-defence. Full-on self-defence and self-protection is my default mode. Well, here's King David. Kish the Benjamite has used words to undermine David's rule. Perhaps he's uh, attacked his integrity or his decisions. It can't be easy to be the ruler of 12 quite different tribes living in different geographical locations. But David asked the Lord... If um, to reveal if he's been unkind or unfair in his treatment of this man Cush, this tribe of the tribe of Benjamin, and if David's being truthful here, and I think he surely is, then he's open to the possibility that if he has abused his power as king, then it ought to be taken from him. Our enemies might be cruel. But we might not always be perfectly innocent. We might want to defend ourselves, and the Lord might be pleased to show us the plank in our own eye. I've known times in my ministry when uh, a letter has dropped through my front door at 10.30 on a Sunday evening. My wife always urges me not to, not to open them, because someone who goes to the trouble of writing a letter at the end of the day on a Sunday just after you've preached two sermons or one sermon, you know that they're probably not writing to encourage you. And they've got in the car and they've driven to your house and they popped a letter through your door, two page, side, two sides of A4. And uh, I've known that there have been times when I've opened those letters and it's, it's uh, ripped my soul apart. And I want to go straight into self-defense and self-protection. And over the days that follow, after a sleepless night, in the days that follow, I have to ask myself, is there any truth in what they're saying? Is there stuff that I need to attend to that they're saying? I remember one such letter coming through my door shortly after we'd proposed to the church that we uh, we um, we appoint our first full-time worker as well as me, an associate. And I had to admit that... Um, the way that I'd gone about it was after some 
humble introspection and analysis that I had been unwise and had to modify my behaviour in the uh, in my conduct in that time. So I need honesty, um, and it might be important for you this morning if uh, you're feeling if you're smarting under the assault of other people's words, whether it's at work or at church. It's so often, isn't it? Sadly, at church. You need to take refuge in the Lord. And then as the days unfold, as the weeks go by, ask yourself and ask the Lord, is there something I need to learn from this? Is there something something in, in my behaviour, uh, in my attitude that needs to change? Show me. I need honesty. I need a refuge and I need honesty. The third thing I'd like to draw your attention to in verses 6 to 16, the, the major part of this psalm is, I need justice. Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God. Decree justice. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness. Well, one of the things that we're called to do in times of distress is to remember what the Lord has done in the past for his people. And it could well be, could well be that that's what David's doing in, here in verses 6 and 7. Um, he's, uh, he's obviously aware of the history of the people of Israel and their trials and the people who've attacked them and how God has vindicated them and come to their rescue in, just, in judgment. And he may be remembering that. Um, and he's, he's essentially asserting that he's, he's taking refuge in the God who delivered his people from Pharaoh and the dreadful treatment that Pharaoh in Egypt, the succession of Pharaohs, uh, meted out to the children of Israel in genocidal policies and harsh treatment and enslavement. He's, uh, he's looking back to that maybe and saying, well, you did that for the people of God then. Would you do something for me? Would you give me justice? Um, he's bruised. He's he's battered because of the behaviour and words of other people. They've accused him of wrongdoing. They've accused him of the abuse of power. He feels like he's being treated unfairly. There's There seems to be dreadful injustice in what they're saying and accusing him of. So we ask the Lord to awake, to arise, and come to his protection. Of course, God never goes to sleep. He's never off duty. But um, it can appear that way to God's children. And uh, we can follow the example of the psalm and say, Lord, I don't see what you're doing in this. Please arise. Help me. Come to my rescue. I need justice. May, th may the God who came... And in a sense, he's, uses, he's using a prayer here that uh, reflects a, a prayer that Moses used back in Exodus. May the Lord God who came to the help of Moses arise and help me. It's perfectly fine to, to ask the Lord to behave in that way. And uh, he asserts in this connection that um, in verses 8 to 11, God will judge in perfect wisdom. Verses 8 to 11. 
Arise, Lord, in your anger, rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God, decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather around you, while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. Bring to an end the violence of the wicked, and make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God, who probes, who probes minds and hearts. So often, in matters of right and wrong, there's confusion. No one seems perfectly right, and no one seems perfectly wrong. So we need to trust in in the perfect wisdom of the all-knowing judge who can not only assess behaviour and observe behaviour, but who can judge the heart and the, the motives of human beings. So David may be saying something like, all around me is confusion and lack of clarity. So I'm going to hide behind the shield of God's perfect wisdom and the judgments that will eventually flow from that. God will judge in perfect wisdom. You have to you have to take refuge in that sometimes. And then God will arrange righteousness, righteous consequences. God will arrange righteous consequences, verses 12 to 16. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword, he will bend his strong, he will string his bow. God has prepared his deadly weapons, he makes ready his flaming arrows. Whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. God will arrange righteous consequences. Every day there are reports of grieving families in the newspapers who are in anguish. Some perpetrator has uh, cause the death of a loved one. He gets out of jail in five years or so for good behaviour, while that daughter, who will never see the light of day, lies in her grave. Her parents are sentenced to a life sentence of broken-hearted sorrow. But by 2024 or something like that, he is out. He will get out to enjoy the rest of his life. He shows no remorse was uh, smirking on, in court when his sentence was handed down. Where's the justice in that? It makes me angry just to think about it. One of my church members years ago in another church was a widow in her 50s. Her husband had died in his, in his 50s and he'd left her with a significant savings. He'd been a careful man, looked after his money very well. And so she, she employed a Christian Christian independent financial advisor who fleeced her of every penny to call on money. He spent a few years in jail, emerged claiming, well, I paid my debt to society. And she was sentenced for the rest of her life to the consequences of his evil behaviour. Where's the justice in that? Where's justice to be found? Where are the proper consequences for the behaviour of a, some young men who 
dragged the body of a young policeman, a newly married young policeman, dragged him for a mile, smashing his body against the ground. And then sitting court, smirking and laughing with each other as a manslaughter sentence is handed down. And the widow, the young widow, grieves and stands outside the court, pleading that proper justice be done for her husband. Well, David takes refuge in the belief that God will work it all out in the end. The just consequences will come at the right time, sometimes in this life, sometimes not. But the punishment will perfectly fit the crime. God has bent and readied his bow, says uh, David here, and sharpened his sword. And although we can't see him, and although we can't predict what form or shape his judgment will take upon those who have harmed other people viciously and and without any remorse or repentance, we can't see the shape of his judgment. We have to trust that it will come. We have to trust the God who will bring about justice at the right time. But what of us? What about you and me? Which of us does not deserve to feel the sharp edge of the sword of judgment? Which of us hasn't robbed God of his honour? Which of us hasn't harmed other people by the things we've said <clears throat> or by the things we've, we've done? <clears throat> Caused them distress? Where's our hope in the day of justice? Where's our hope in the day of justice? As Charles Wesley put it in one of his hymns, "'Tis just the sentence should take place, but all thy son has died." The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is this. Perfect justice has already been carried out at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. A willing substitute has taken our punishment in himself he he received the sword of judgment it pierced him he was pierced for our transgressions and wounded for our iniquities the punishment that we deserve was laid upon him Isaiah chapter 53 our only refuge in the day uh, the anticipated day of God's righteous judgment is that justice has been already done in, for us if we will but trust the Lord Jesus Christ Righteousness has been perfectly performed in the life, the perfect life of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. We are the guilty ones, but he gets punished. We are the guilty ones. We go free. He is wounded for our transgressions and we are welcomed as beloved children into the arms of God. That's uh, why we can sing with Charles Wesley. Let me just... Um, Rehearse this. It's one of my favourite Charles Wesley hymns. Guilty I stand before thy face. On me I feel thy wrath abide. Tis just the sentence should take place. Tis just but all thy son hath died. Jesus, the Lamb of God, hath bled. 
He bore our sins upon the tree. Beneath our curse, he bowed his head. Tis finished. Tis finished. He hath died for me. For me, I now believe he died. He made my every crime his own. He made my every crime his own. Fully for me, he satisfied. Father, well pleased, behold thy son. So, yeah, there are times in life when we are wounded and hurt by the unjustifiable and hard-hearted treatment of other people toward us. We need to go to God for refuge. We need to plead for justice. We need to trust that justice will be done. But we also need to recognise our own sin and take refuge in the one who died with our sins nailed to his soul so that we might spend a joyful eternity in the presence of God. Thank you for joining me these last three Sunday mornings, if you've been there for all of them. Um, let me just pray as we close. Eternal Father, we recognise that we, because of our breaking of your commandments, because we've robbed you of your glory, because we've lived for our idols of pleasure and of um, of power, things we want to own and keep, um, we have brought upon ourselves the judgment of God. Tis just the sentence should take place. We recognise that before you this morning. We know that other people have hurt us, other people have wounded us, but we know that we have brought dishonour to your name. So this morning we take refuge in our Lord Jesus Christ, who was pierced for our transgressions and wounded for our iniquities. We, we take refuge in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. We pray for our enemies. We pray for those who've hurt us and may be hurting us at this very time. We pray that you would have mercy upon them. We pray that we might leave the issue of their wrongdoing in the hands of God, who will ensure that justice will be perfectly done. Help us to take refuge in you, for we ask it. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The Lord bless you.